Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What's going on, everybody? This is Mike Tweedy, and you're listening to Crazy Prison Stories, the world's best prison podcast. Um, so this episode is actually a crossover episode between Crazy Prison Stories and another another uh, podcast that's on our network, uh, Voices Behind Bars, with uh, Sarah Diarmond. Um, so yeah, if you if you haven't heard that podcast, please go to uh, wherever you get your podcast and, and just search for Voices Behind Bars. You should find us. Um, we have a full season of episodes up there. Um, Sarah's amazing. She does uh, you know interviews with wrongfully convicted people. And, um, you know, we like I said, we have a full season up there already. So it's, uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, but today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the case of Matthew uh, Baker Jr., and so Matthew Baker Jr. is a 24-year-old who's uh, from Henry County, Georgia. He's currently on trial for a quadruple, quadruple murder that happened back in 2016, known as the Bonfire Killings. Um, and Matthew, uh, he actually had a, had a co-defendant in the case whose name is Jacob. And um, Jacob actually confessed to these murders. Uh, he went to trial. He was given four life sentences without the possibility of parole. Um, and now Matthew's actually on trial for the uh, same case. So what we're going to do is we're going to get into an interview with Sarah and Sarah is interviewing, uh, she's interviewing Matthew's mother and, uh, one of the journalists who's been covering, uh, Matthew's case. And then after, uh, after Sarah's interview, we actually have a couple of 911 calls for you. Um, so the first 911 call is, um, one that Jacob's sister made, uh, the night of the murders, uh, and then the, the second 911 call is uh, one that Jacob made uh, the day that he was turning himself into police. So, um, yeah, stick around to the end to hear those. And, uh, yeah, without further ado, uh, this is Voices Behind Bars. Let's get into it. So Matthew only knew Jacob for uh, three days prior. The media tried to portray them as best friends. They had known each other for a long time, which is simply not true. Like I said, he had met him three days prior, barely knew him, the four people who were tragically murdered, which I want to say real quick, I want to pay my respects to. I don't have permission to say their names, but these were close friends of Matthew that he still mourns to this day. And they were victims of this too. So I wanted to take the time to say that. I'm not just saying that to be nice. I truly mean that. But to continue... Uh, he was there to really see his, again, his four friends. Jacob just uh, happened to be there. And so, again, he was there to have fun that night. He did. Uh, he arrived home, like his mom said, be sure to be home by nine. And he was uh, given a text. You know, he, uh, for some re- I forgot why, but he was asked to be there at 1 a.m., and he wasn't sure at first, should I go? But because he was asked to be there, he was like, okay, I'll, I'll just, 
hop in real quick and come back home. And uh, when he arrived there, he had no idea what had just happened, had no clue, but his friends tragically had been murdered. And uh, by the time he arrived, rigor mortis had already uh, cut in and had already begun. And so they had already been shot. And I'm not allowed, legally allowed to go into detail about that, but there was a faint bullet hole in there. And, but uh, Jacob ran out of that house where they had been murdered. Uh, he was allegedly the one who fired the second bullet hole, again, allegedly, but he ran out, told Matthew, get in the car. Again, Matthew was not aware of everything that happened, but I can tell you, he had no gun residue on him. Jacob did. The four of the people in the car who have not been questioned had a gun residue on them. Uh, Jacob's fingerprints were on the gun. Matthew's fingerprints were not. So that's how he unfortunately got caught up in everything. And there was someone who witnessed everything, who was hiding in the bushes, saw everything, placed a 911 call, which is very eerie when you listen to it. But uh, when you hear the 911 call, they never mentioned Matthew. They mentioned two white men. Matthew is black. And also when you hear another 911 call, when Jacob turns himself in, again, never mentions Matthew. Uh, not long after that, I believe it was the following day, Matthew was arrested. So was Jacob. And uh, that's how Matthew, unfortunately, got caught up into this. This is a very racist town. This is Henry County, Georgia. Deeply racist town. And so Matthew being a black man, uh, he was targeted, like I said, from day one at, by Detective LaCroix, also the prosecutor in this case. And Jacob has admitted to everything. He admitted to everything from day one. He made it very clear. I'm the one who did it, not Matthew. I will confess as long as you don't do anything to Matthew. He wrote in his confession that it wasn't Matthew. It was him. Like, he, to this day, he has made it clear it was me, not Matthew. He was given a life sentence. They got the person who did it. Uh, like I said, allegedly, there was another person involved. Like I said, legally, I can't go into details, but still, they have punished him. He, like I said, got a life sentence. Still, they are determined to give Matthew the death penalty, despite evidence being clearly hearsay. But unfortunately, when it comes to wrongful convictions, especially regarding to black and brown people, I see this all too often. This happened to Timothy McGruder, who in season one, we did a deep dive into his case. Evidence was purely hearsay. Again, I see this all the time. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna get into and, and take a listen to uh, two nine one one calls. Um, so the first the first call you went a, a little bit over, um, but the first nine one one call um, would be a call that was made from the scene that night. This was Jacob's sister, was and um, and uh, Jacob, by the way, has uh, some mental illnesses, and uh, and if this had been treated a long time ago, 
possibly we would not be in this position today. I'm not shaming anyone with mental illnesses. The unfortunate thing is you do need to take care of it. Like I take care of mine, but his family never took care of his. And uh, by the way, I'm not saying that people with mental illnesses are violent by any means, but I'm just saying this does play a small role into this. And unfortunately, he's still not getting the help that he needs. Uh, Jacob's sister did place the 911 call. Um, and unfortunately, his family still hasn't uh, allegedly given the help that he needs. I don't know that for sure, but allegedly they still have given him the help that he needs. But that was his sister who made the call. Right. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, and then the second call is made from uh, Jacob himself. And this is the day, I guess, that he was he was turning himself in. Right. He knew the police were going to arrest him. So he went ahead, called them ahead of time and said it was just turning himself in. He, he was he was ready for it. And he, he just wanted to call them and say, OK, ready for it. And uh, and was telling them he was expecting them. And he was just waiting on uh, he waited on the phone with the 911 dispatcher until the police arrived. And like I like I said, he was expecting it. So. Uh, he went ahead and turned himself in. And Matthew was never mentioned in either one of these 911 calls. Never mentioned. I mean, how can people, if people are more interested in, in learning more or getting more involved after they hear the episode, uh, you know, where, where should people go? Oh, I'm glad you asked. So there is an Instagram page that is this clemency page that gives you all the updates. Justice for Matthew Baker. And they all they give you all the information you need to know, such as his petition. And they also give you information regarding uh, emailing the judge, talking about his character. Even if you don't know Matthew, uh, just saying, hey, I heard about this case. This is why I feel like this is unfair, such as you're... You need to prove beyond a reasonable doubt this person is guilty. There was no gun residue on him. The thing, his fingerprints were not on the gun. There were no witnesses. Jacob admitted to committing the crime. Evidence is purely hearsay. So I need to know proof beyond a reasonable doubt how he is guilty. So that's another way if you don't know Matthew, uh, a good letter or good email to send to the judge again they give you instructions on his instagram page uh and like i said there are more instructions if you need to know additional instructions on what to do just send the clemency page a dm they are happy to walk you through it also you can uh schedule a visit with matthew he is happy to talk to anyone um i believe the it, website is ivisit.com if I'm incorrect, I will make sure to correct it immediately, send you that link. But I believe it's ivisit.com. It costs $6 for 15 minutes, but he is happy to talk to anyone. He needs the support. Uh, I've already talked to Matthew once. Uh, oh, gosh. It was beautiful talking to him. He, after seven years of being in jail, he has kicked spirits up. And... Again, he's happy to talk to anyone, and he welcomes them with open arms. We are going to talk again next Monday. So, again, I encourage everyone, whether you know him or not, 
to talk to him and uh, give him your support. Uh, another thing I'd like to say about it is um, please not only share, if you can, this uh, episode of this podcast, the 911 calls, but also share the petition, uh, share his uh, clemency page. Please uh, sign the, like I said, sign the petition, email the judge. Uh, there are also additional things you can do. So please send a DM to his clemency page. They are happy to walk you through this. And please spread the word about this. We need all eyes on this case. I know I say this in every episode of my podcast, but I mean it. The more eyes on this, the better. I've seen this happen time and time again with an exoneration where we get more eyes on the case. We raise all kinds of noise. We make all kinds of noise and it helps tremendously with an exoneration. So uh, the more noise we make, the more eyes on this case, I believe we can make sure that Matthew gets a not guilty, a not guilty verdict. Don't be afraid of the dark. Be careful with stars. Not every light is gonna guide you, baby. Don't let it rain on your spark. Keep it close to your heart. All of the pressure's gonna drive you crazy. Cause you rise to the madness. In the morning, it's all gonna vanish. Don't be afraid of the dark. Be careful with stars. Not every light is gonna guide you. Yeah, when I blow up, I'ma soar high like Peter Pan. In real life, be living all my dreams. If I'm waking up, it's in a foreign land. Whole wrist covered up in ice. Dealership never asked the price. Welcome to Voices Behind Bars. Today, we're gonna talk about the uh, wrongful, wrongfully accused Matthew Baker, who is up for the death penalty. Unfortunately on October 2nd, and we're doing everything we can to get the word out to make sure this does not become a wrongful conviction. We've got Kaylin on the line who has written some great articles about Honeysuckle has been so wonderful when it comes to this case, and we've got his wonderful mother, Angie. So uh, starting with Angie, could you both introduce yourselves, please? Hey, how is everybody doing? I am Matthew Baker's mother. I hope everybody listens to this story and jumps on board to fight for him because there are too many people that are wrongfully convicted, and this is how things start, is looking at the case that he's got going on, and then 30 to 50 years from now, people get exonerated, and they're not compensated for any time that they have spent all those years with missing birthdays, deaths, um, just yeah. anything that we go through on a normal daily life that most people take for granted, these people are taken away from us for no reason, and the people that need to be behind bars are not behind bars and are out here, you know, just doing whatever. And they don't, it's not, There's. you can't say I'm sorry for anything like this. Exactly. And I'm Kaylin Womack. I'm a guest writer at Honeysuckle Magazine and full-time staff writer at The Root. I've been following Matthew's case for about two years now. Um, started June 2021, right around the time, actually, that he was re-indicted. I'm very honored to have you both on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. And um, so 
I first heard about this case two years ago through my friend, Demita, uh, who has been, oh gosh, she's been a godsend when this comes to this case. Uh, she's been my friend for years. And uh, I remember uh, with my first video, both of you kindly reached out to me. And uh, I remember, I told Matthew this when uh, I had my first uh, video chat with him, how ever since my first video, my followers have been making calls, um, sending emails, and he was so happy to hear that. Uh, he's so wonderful. You both know that very well. But um, but let's um, go back to the beginning. Um, so this has been – this was seven years ago, right? Yes. This October will be seven years. And uh, how old was he at the time? Uh, he just turned 19. Okay. And um, so uh, wasn't he at a bonfire with uh, Jacob and uh, who, who was the one who uh, was arrested and now sentenced to life in prison with Jacob and four other people? Um, <clears throat> yes. Uh, and that's where the news media has all got it kind of, that's, I think that's the starting of what made most people believe that Matthew was guilty is the way the news media perceived it to be. They were making it oh. seem like that Matthew was there at the bonfire with Jacob and all the and the victims and or whatever. But Matthew, the four that was arrested with him, that only got obstruction charges. Um, but are not facing the same charges as Matthew, he was with that group of people. So he only knew Jacob like three days. And this day that's right. the third day. So that was, that's one of the things. But they also uh, made it seem like that Matthew left the party and came back with Jacob and they just opened fire in the house. And that's not how it happened either. Yeah, because I remember Kaylin went over that in her article in Honeysuckle. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the, um, and I'll get into that later, <laughs> um, but basically the quote-unquote authorities told a lot of the media outlets and whatever reports they handed out that the two had arrived at the party, met behind the shed to steal the guns, came in the house to open fire, and... Forensically and logically, that's impossible. Um, but to go along with what um, Angie said, uh, there's been a, a fine tailored narrative that Jacob and Matthew worked in addendum, that they knew each other, that they were pals, that they were buddies, whatever their association was, um, simply because they were at the same place at the same time. And both of them have made yeah. statements since then to clarify that, you know, they weren't friends, they weren't cool with one another on, you know, that type of intimate friendship level. They just kind of knew each other by association. Yeah, I remember, Kayla, in your article, you even clarified Jacob had known him like three days prior. That was it? Yes. And mm -hmm. there are also, you know, documents from the investigation that can confirm that, too. And um, so, um, Angie, from what you know, um, that night, um, like, Matthew didn't even know what was going on as far as the murders went. Like, he had no idea they had even occurred. No, and that's something else that they haven't done. Um, not, nobody that was investigating this case even 
came to ask me where was Matthew at, uh, what was he doing prior to this, did I know anything about the bonfire. None of them never asked me anything, not even the attorneys. I told them before they even had to ask me because I knew where Matthew was at and what he was doing and most of everything that happened before any of these because when I spoke with Matthew that night, it was around 7 o'clock, and I told him, um, I called him to ask him where he was at, and he said that he was hanging out with um, Caleb Brooke and Jacob Williams. And I was like, okay. I said, well, I need you to be here, blah, 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 whatever. And he was like, okay. He said, I'm, we're going, I'm riding with them. They're going to hang out with some friends, and then I'll be at the house. I said, well, make sure you're at the house by 930 because I need you to be here to watch out for your sister. <clears throat> so she had just had a baby at the time, and I needed to leave um, to go take care of some things later on that evening because I was actually not going to be staying at the house that night. And he was like, okay. He texted me, he told me he was on the way within 10 minutes. He was back at the house, and he was at home by 9.30. I did not actually leave the house until about 1 o'clock in the morning. And when, and I, because I really didn't want to leave, but I was like, you know what, I got to go ahead and go because I got to take care of my business. So from 9.30 until 1 o'clock in the morning, I know that Matthew is at the house with me. And even from 1 o'clock to 1.30, 1.45, his sister can vouch for him. So there's a 15-minute gap time period or whatever that is nobody can vouch for him other than Kayla, Brooke, and Jacob Williams, or at least at least up to about 1.50 that they could say, his mm -hmm. sister could say that he was there, if I had to give or take around a time frame. But for the remaining of that, all that time that he was not there, we don't know what happened at that house. And that I, but we know that Jacob Koski was not with Matthew, and that Jacob Koski was at that house with the victims and his sister and whoever else was at the house. Yeah, and um, who? So crime, I think it was two other people that was there. So, um, uh, who was the one who uh about the nine one one call? Because there were contradictions there. Um, can you tell me about that? Um, Jacob's sister, Jude Walton. She's the one to call nine one one. Mhm. And she said there were two white men originally, right? Um, on her nine one one call, she uh said that her brother was the shooter. Um, and oh. Actually, uh, I think it was it was after the fact on her 911 call. She said that it was two white males, and afterwards, when she had a one-on-one -on -one with Detective Lacroix, she identified the shooter as her brother. And okay. the sequence of it was that when she called, she said she saw two white males. Um, she said that she couldn't identify them or see. Um, who they were because it was so dark outside and she was outside hiding on the back of the house um, when the shooting started. But then by the time the shooting stopped, the police were already dispatched to go meet her at the house. Um, and then Detective LaCroix testified that he spoke to her that night, or I guess in the wee hours of that morning, um, the following morning. And he said that she identified her brother as the shooter and 
had previously gotten a call like a couple of minutes prior that um, prior to the police arriving at the house that she got a call from her and Jacob's brother, Jordan, who said, Jacob Kosky, you know, just called me and said that he shot four or five people. Do you know about this basically? Or, you know, what happened? Um, so I guess after Jacob identified himself as the shooter to their older brother and then told Jude, the sister, that at around the same time that the detectives were just arriving to the scene of the crime, she identified Jacob as the shooter as well. Mm-hmm. And um, so about Detective LaCroix, so I would say from the beginning he targeted Matthew. Am I correct? Yes, that's correct. When he came and, uh, um, to the house, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> when okay, so when the when he came after they had arrested Matthew, and he came to the house to do the serve the search warrant or whatever, um, which we were tricked when they all left, and I'll tell you that part in a minute too, so I can clear the air on that one too, because there's a lot of stories okay. going on about that part. So he had told me then, I I looked at him and I told him, I said, you got the wrong person. I was like, Matthew did not have anything to do with this. And he looked at me, he said, I'm sorry, Ms. Lanier. He was like, yes, he did. And I was like, no, he did not. I said, I know my kids. And I said, and I know all parents say that. I said, but I know my kids. And that kid did not have anything to do with this. And he said, well, I'm sorry, Ms. Lanier. He was like, yeah, we've been looking at... um, both your boys, but we've really been looking at Matthew uh, for a while now. And I was like, okay, for what? I was like, he doesn't do anything for you to be looking at him. He was like, well, his name's been brought up a couple of times in some home invasions. And I was like, no, it has not. I was like, you have not had this. I know what my kids be doing and what they don't be doing and stuff. And they never had no problems. For the most part, Matthew was at home most of the time. I knew where he was. He he didn't have a phone, but he made sure that he kept in contact with me, just like now. I don't know what he does every day while he's in jail, but he makes sure that he calls me every single day, even if if it's late at night, just to call me, just to say, Mama, I love you. I'm just calling to check on you, make sure y'all were okay. Mm-hmm. I also like to add that LaCroix made these statements without providing Angie, um, and she can confirm this as well if I'm off, but he didn't have any um, evidence or prior police reports, prior tips to the police that were, you know, documented with the department that Matthew was part of any home invasions. No. Right. He didn't, he didn't give me any of that. When, it, and the, here's the funny thing, okay, so when they came to the house that day, when everybody went to the police department the only reason why they even stopped at our house or even came to the house was because they seen the they seen Kayla's jeep in the yard and so supposedly Kayla's jeep was what they were told um that Jay, uh, Matthew and Brooke and all them would be in or that was the car that was let seen left leaving the scene or whatever so that's the only reason why they were looking for Kayla's car who told them that information? I don't know, but they were saying uh, that was because they were actually looking for Jacob. So 
when I came outside, I just seen a bunch of police at the end of the driveway, and I didn't know why they was there. I didn't know anything about what was going on or nothing. So I'm walking down the driveway, and I asking them, you know, how can I help you, blah, 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 whatever. Then next thing you know, they're telling me, get on the ground, and they're all pointing their guns at me. So then I get on the ground, then Matthew comes outside, and then here come, and then I think Kayla was already in the car. I think Brooke was already in the car, and then I think Jacob Williams was already in the car. And so now mm-hmm. all of them, they have all of them separated, and me and Matthew was the only ones that was on the ground. So at the same time, they're still only looking for Jacob. They're not looking for anybody else. So one of the officers, well, two of the officers were standing behind um, a pickup truck that was in the driveway, which belonged to me, and one of the, I kept asking them over and over, you know, why are y'all here? What, why are y'all doing this? You know, what's going on? Because my daughter's in the house, my grandbaby's in the house. Like, you know, I don't understand. I was scared because at that time, it's the same thing that's going on now, but it was really like hot and heavy then where I think out in Texas is where they had a lot of the police officers that was shooting and killing the black people. So, of course, society, Matthew is considered to be black. And I, I was scared for his life because he was on the laying on the driveway not too far from me. And I could turn my head and see him. But at the same time, I'm laying on the ground. My hands are behind my back. I'm handcuffed. So if I needed to get to him, I couldn't get to him. So right. the officer turns around, points his gun at my head, and tells me now is not the time to be fucking playing, bitch. And I'm like, what What are you talking about? Because he asked me, do I know Jacob? And I said, no, the only Jacob I know is that one over there. So I still didn't know who they were talking about. I had never met Koski before, so I didn't know who he was. And then once they know that he wasn't there, they had went in, they brought my daughter, I guess they called the supervisor out or whatever. They sent officers in, brought my daughter out. Uh, got us up off the ground and walked us down to the end of the driveway. They took Matthew back into the house um, just to make sure that the the area was uh, secure, whatever, and Jacob wasn't in the house anywhere, whatever. Then they start talking to me. Detective LaCoy was the first one that came to me and was talking to me. He never, on scene, as it the first time, never said anything to me about. Matthew being looking at him, looking at Matthew for this, that, and the other. He never even mentions Matthew's name. He only asked me what was going on. Did I know who Jacob was or anything like that? And I said no. Then he starts telling me that what happened, that they're going to have to take all of them down for questioning. They just, they're taking them down because they're witnesses or trying to see, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he told me that. Every one of them, once they got done doing their little questioning, that they would be free to go. And I told him then, well, let me know. I will make sure all of them kids get back to their parents because that's the type of parent that I was. You know, I didn't care if there wasn't my kids or not my kids. I always treated every kid that came to my house as if it was my kid unless I didn't like them, and then I would tell my kids I don't like them. And I'd tell them why I didn't like them. And that was pretty much it. And then they didn't bring them back to the house because they knew that mama was crazy and she's going to tell you that she don't like you and don't come back to the house. 
There's a couple of times I didn't told some of their little friends I didn't like them, and they didn't come back. And and my kids didn't hang out with them. None of them, none, not even Matthew. Just all all three of my kids. But Matthew was the only one that was really a social butterfly. Anyways, the other two were, you know, homebody kids and just kind of stayed in their within their own little circle, and that was it. Right. But he, he never said anything um, the day that they left, and every one of them kids left willingly. Nobody was arrested on the property. But if people go to start researching on social media and stuff, they'll see all kinds of stuff on there that they found guns in my house, that they found D guns at my house, that I was arrested, and uh, just all kinds of different stories on there. There was also um, some social media discourse about Angie allegedly like hiding the clothes that Matthew wore the night of the incident and helping him hide a firearm, but she'll also tell you or confirm for me that, um, and I also have the document, that they did file a search warrant to go to her home and look through his things. And I mean, we've seen in plenty of cases that if there's just a simple drug raid, the officers are knocking over things, flying open every single drawer possible, breaking TVs if they feel like it. Um, yep. And Andy, you tell her what they came up with when they executed the search warrant at your house. Not nothing. And they did not. <clears throat> the only place that they went, looked at was in the um, my Matthew and his brother. They shared a room. Um, that was the only room that they was they searched in. They didn't search nowhere else in the house. And that was it. <clears throat> Which I didn't wouldn't have cared if they searched anywhere in the house because there wasn't nothing there. But I told them the same thing I told them when they came out in when they went in. The same thing I told them when they came out. You gonna walk in there look like you're look like a effing idiot because it ain't gonna be nothing in the house. And when they came out, I said and like I told you, you wasn't gonna find nothing. And there was mm-hmm. nothing. And uh, there was, I mean, nothing connecting Matthew, still nothing. I mean, they didn't find any gun residue on them, no fingerprints, nothing. No, and that's been proven in court twice. The first time was two years ago when Kaylin got the case. Um, It was about a month or two after she got the case. We had our first court appearance um, that we haven't had because we hadn't had a court appearance before that in like two years or so, two or three years. Um, and that first court appearance, well, I think it was the second one, not the first one, but they did a Jackson Denham hearing, and that is online. Um, if anybody wants to research it, they have to go to the Henry County Superior Court, and it's courtroom D, I believe. Um, and that um, was Christy Green, I think was her name. She used to work for the Henry County, and she did all the DNA swabbings and stuff like that. She stated in court then that there was no DNA of any type on Matthew, and she submitted all that over to GBI. Now, I think we have tried to contact GBI, and um, Kaylin reached out to them several times, and they don't have any records of that stuff being turned over to them. And then recently, 
we had court in was it in May or April or May or April April. Um, the DA brought up then too again that there was no DNA on file. Mm-hmm. No gunpowder residue, no DNA, no fingerprints. And Jacob has also um, well told us kind of through word of mouth because we don't always have direct communication with Jacob, but through one of his advocates, um, he shared in a conversation that both of the guns were found. Um, They're both in his discovery and that neither of them had any connection to Matthew through the gun residue test, fingerprinting, and all of this. And uh, so um, since the beginning, the media, like I, this has happened with uh, other people I've been advocating for, like every single one of them, how they misportray portray them like uh, I'm advocating for my man, Timothy McGruder. He's the first case I took on. The media portrayed him like this complete thug, and that has always driven me crazy. So from what I'm gathering, they portrayed Matthew as, you know, this just someone who was this accomplice from the very beginning, premeditated murder. Is Am I correct? Yeah. Uh, well, it's so kind of conflicting stories because they're not really trying to make him like a, a one-on-one personal conversation with Detective McCoy. Yes, he's trying to. But compared to the media and the court system, they're just trying to make it seem like he's a, a heinous person. Like, he put everything together. Like, can appear to, okay, so his first indictment um, the way his first indictment was reading was as he was, they were trying to charge him as accessory. Same thing going back to the DA not knowing or stating, you know, not knowing what part he played in it, but feeling like he had something to do with it versus um, two years ago in June, right after Kaylin got the case and Demita got on the case, uh, we went to court and they re-indicted Matthew. So the way his reindictment reads now as if there is no Jacob and Matthew is Jacob. Oh, gosh. And also, um, just like she said, the media has pretty much bounced off of all of the conflicting stories that Detective now Sergeant LaCroix has told. But they also added a gang violence expert onto the prosecution's team which um, we spoke to Demita about because she noticed in a lot of her cases that she works on that the first thing they try to do to successfully paint the false picture that someone is a criminal is to make them out to be gang affiliated. And when Matthew's interrogation with LaCroix, the first thing he asked him after getting him to spill out this a recount of this traumatizing thing that he just witnessed the first thing he asked him was, are you part of the gang? And Matthew says no. And he goes, oh, well, I'm hearing that you're part of Gangster Disciples. Doesn't cite his sources, doesn't say who he's hearing it from or anything. Goes on to ask him, well, is, is are any of his family members gang members? And he goes, you know, if they are, then I don't know because I'm not associated with them. 
And then he goes on to ask him further, well, do you call yourself, you know, part of a gang like you and your friends or something like that, which is obviously trying to bait him into getting a certain response because, yeah, when I was in high school, it was very, you know, normal for you to, for you to refer to yourself and your friends as, oh yeah, that's gang, but we're not shooting up anybody. We're not doing anything criminal. We just called that as a group of friends. Um, so he even caught on to what was going on in the interview and said, no, I would probably call us like a clique or a squad or something like that, but we're not a gang. And then the interrogation between McCoy and Jacob Kosky, he does the same thing, baiting questions of, oh, well, I'm hearing around that he's part of X, Y, and Z. And Jacob responds, I don't know what you're talking about because I don't really know him, (laughs) but, um, it's obvious that they're, you know, trying to paint that picture reflecting what the media has blasted about Matthew. And on top of that, with the gang expert being on the team, there's obviously a connection trying to be made between Jacob Kosky's gang affiliation and Matthew, who is not gang affiliated. And at the time of the crime, Jacob Kosky was a member of Ghostface, which is a white-only gang. And mm-hmm. Matthew may be very pale right now, but at the time of this incident, he was a black boy, yeah. hands down undisputed. And it doesn't make any sense really for, you know, and this is just pure opinion, but it doesn't make any sense for someone to try to make that connection between a black guy trying to work in addendum with a guy who is part of a white only gang. That connection we're right. not seeing. Um, but they do know as a prosecution tactic that it's going to have an impression on the jury whether they bring up gangs in general, even if they just mention it on its own. Because, of course, you know, the classic trope of the black man in America and once you slap a label criminal on someone is that they're gang affiliated or once you mention gang affiliation in general, it already kind of puts an impression on someone to have a skewed and one-sided view of who that person is. So uh, how did you um, get involved with this case? Because I, like I said, senior articles spoken to you over the years. Um, how did you first get involved? So I was just, I was freshly graduated out of school, May, 2021. And I was interning for Honeysuckle Magazine at the time. And my last week there was creeping up on June when um, Danita Bishop sent a message to my editor and it got forwarded to me and it was basically just a complete, you know, rundown of Matthew's case. And the first thing that popped out to me were all of the keywords, black young man, death penalty, Georgia, white man admitted guilt to it already. And Obviously, I was like, okay, I'm not certain why there's nobody else talking about this. So I, you know, did my research into it. And this was honestly my first time doing like a story of this magnitude. But I will say that I don't think it's by mistake that it happened to fall in my lap of all people. Um, And when I went to go do the research on it, like we've talked about before, there were so many different conflicting reports. And I can tell you, I had probably like between 15 and 20 tabs open on my computer, all stories about this incident, all the way up to 2019, 
pretty much when the press stopped after Jacob Kosky got sentenced. But every single tab had a different rendition of what happened. There was even one article from, I want to say the Henry Herald, that put Matthew's name as Matthew Baker Hicks. Matthew Baker is Matthew Baker, and Matthew Hicks is one of the victims. Um, so right. there was just so much sloppy work across all of these local news articles about what actually happened. And no one questioning why there were several different stories going on about what happened. Like, even in my writing now, if I go to, even just today, there was an article about a, um, a canine attack, and I noticed that one article said, oh, the authorities pulled him over for speeding, and another article said, oh, they pulled him over because he had a missing mud flap. Pick one and point yes. out that there's a discrepancy. So none of these articles were doing that, um, and they also neglected to share any real details about what Matthew's alleged involvement in the incident was besides what the authorities were claiming, which was the blatant, you know, impossible theory that he, you know, orchestrated this whole thing, was the mastermind behind it, and provided Jacob with the guns and all of those other lies. So at that point, I said, you know what, I'm still kind of unsure about what's going on here, but I'm at least going to write something about it. So the first story I published was basically just putting out all the information about it. Like, here's what we know, here's what we don't know, and here's why this doesn't make a lot of sense, especially in a death penalty case. You kind of want to make sure that you're, you know, T's are crossed and I's are dotted and something like this. So then um, as I started investigating further, I started getting a little bit more curious about, you know, well, what does Henry County, um, Henry County funding look like for their, um, you know, capital defenders team, which is pretty much public defense for capital cases? And what is, you know, what are they provided to even do a case like this? And how much does a death penalty case cost? And then as I started attending more um, of the virtual, because I'm out of state, um, more of the virtual um, hearings and then also finally getting to go to one in person, as I was seeing more of the evidence that was being produced during the pretrial hearings, I said, okay, there's actually really something wrong here um, and they have to be railroading him. So after that, I posted another article just, you know, finally detailing everything that is not making sense. And then after that, I kind of got more into just, you know, what's the problem with Georgia? Like that state on its own has an egregious history of just terrible, terrible convictions gone wrong. And um, I just, I decided to stick with it because I just felt like, you know, I had to see it through and nobody else to my knowledge, um, besides 11 Alive has even given an update about the story. And the only reason that they got an update about the story is because they contacted me <laughs> to, talk, to help them connect to the people to talk about it. So, um, you know, there's been a lot of crickets around it. And I'm working on another follow-up right now to kind of wrap up what the last two pre-trial hearings were about. But, um, yeah, I just decided Good to stick with it. And, um, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Were you going to say something? Uh, I'm just saying good for you because um, articles have been great, and um, I'll definitely you know keep up the good work. But um, was there anything else you wanted to say about uh, the future article? No, I just um, there. I'm basically just you know talking about 
the last two pretrial, well, one of them was just a status hearing, but because all of this was pretty much on record, um, there was one time during the pretrial hearing in April or the status hearing in April where the judge opened the floor for the prosecutor to explain if she had any reasoning in particular about why she decided to double his charges essentially. And mm -hmm. according to the transcript, she said that the state has its reasons and it's frankly none of the defense's business what those reasons are to reindict um, as if they're, you know, entitled to not disclose that information, which Matthew has a constitutional right to see any exculpatory evidence that's against him in the case, even if it is from the state exactly. discovery, which the prosecutor went on to say that they looked over the discovery, they looked back into all of their findings and decided that they missed some charges the first time around. His first indictment was handed down in 2017-2018. So for some reason, to me and my personal opinion, from that time to 2022, that's a really, really, really long time to decide and set charges for one person in the incident and then decide that you need to have a little do-over on the same discovery for the other person who's involved in the incident. That doesn't make yeah. much sense to me. Um, oh, not at all. And it's also concerning, you know, that the state didn't even want to offer, you know, well, even though we did pick from the same pile, here's what we found that justified these new charges. Nothing. Um, so, yeah. Um, that and then from the last pretrial hearing a couple weeks ago in June, um, they brought a doctor from Georgetown. She's a brain development expert, basically to testify on, um, you know, brain development and specifically how people in their late adolescence, which is usually ages between, I think she said, 18 and 25, their frontal lobe isn't completely developed. And because of that, they have problems with, you know, decision-making, controlling impulses, um, you know, foreseeing consequences or understanding or being able to predict sequence of events in the future. And um, I'll leave most of the analysis to the article, but what I will say is that we spoke to another one of um, Danita's clients under FAIR, and he basically said that that hearing was a waste of time and almost a shot in the foot for Matthew. The purpose of that hearing and for having that expert come to testify was to help justify getting the death penalty off of the table for Matthew. But instead, this man kind of described it as um, another tactic for public defense attorneys who kind of already assume that their client is guilty of something. It's like a tactic for where, you know, if their client is guilty of something, then they need something to, you know, take the guilt off or make it seem like maybe they did do something, but they didn't mean it because their frontal lobe, um, you know, their frontal lobe wasn't completely matured and stuff like that. But the issue with that is mm. that we're claiming Matthew's innocence completely, you know? So to have someone go up on the stand and say, oh, well, you know, people at this age do these, you know, certain types of things or they have trouble controlling themselves. 
already implies that there is some type of level of guilt onto their client, which is counterproductive because you're supposed to defend your client to the end, all the way up to the Supreme right. Court if need be. And it doesn't matter how delusional it sounds. <laughs> if, if you're paid to defend them, then they're innocent, period. Um, or you right. have to claim that they're innocent, period. So it kind of already set an atmosphere in the courtroom that they were trying to make excuses for Matthew as if he did something when at least we believe that he didn't. Um, so I'll get more into that, um, of course, when the piece comes out. Um, but that's basically the general impression that I took from it. So, um, Angie, one, oh, go ahead. I was going to just add something to what Taylor was saying. So Please do. I am most definitely glad that there was no jurors in the courtroom during this time when we went to court because the now, okay, hold on, let me back up because I'm about to be bouncing all over the place. So I have asked Matthew's attorneys about doing a change of venue. And one of the things that they've told me over and over and over and over, just like I've asked for the discovery and Matthew's asked for the discovery and haven't got no straight answers is in due time that they will, if they feel need, then that's when they will, uh, put in a change of venue. Well, being that this is in Henry County, everybody in just about in Henry County knows about it. Now that it's all over social media, I'm sure that they all know about it. And the only way we can do a change of venue is them to get uh, another county that has the same ratio of people as Henry County does. So it has to be the same ethics of Caucasian, same ethics of Hispanics, the same ethics of Blacks. Like it has the same, it has to be the same number of people in the county for them to do the change of venue. Now, with that being said, I'm glad that there was no jurors in the courtroom because when the lady was, the doctor was up there talking or whatever, and then uh, one of the arguments that Matthew's attorneys was making was they brought up that they felt like it was a racial bias situation. The judge, his answer was, why do you feel that way? And Matthew's attorney, at the two of his attorneys there are black, said that in society, Matthew being biracial is considered to be black, which is true. If you ask anybody, black or white, what color they think Matthew is, they're going to tell you that he's black, even though he's biracial. The judge said, and you know they tried to be they tried to be technical with the terms like black or biracial or black or a person of color and I mean unfortunately the basic rules of the paper bag test still apply in certain situations in society if you look a certain way if your skin is a certain color regardless you are black people yep. like to you know be political about whether you're mixed race or not but when it comes down to it and when it comes down to what racism looks like in America and how people are treated in America based off their skin tone, you're black or you're white. Um, yep. And if you're lucky, you're ambiguous. But the judge's response to that was that we're all people of color and went on to go note that, oh, you know, there's some Italian people with darker skin. And at that point, I just kind of closed my ears off because I just couldn't even believe that I was sitting in that courtroom. But then at the same time, I could because it's Henry County. Um, and what can mm -hmm. you expect from that? But it was just, yeah. you know, I feel like yeah. when you want to argue racism because it's so, I mean, in any case, in any case, because it's so debated in the courtroom, 
and racism, you know, we're still fighting for racism to be in the courtroom or even debated in the law and included in the conversation when it comes to certain cases like this. It's, it's very, you know, you have to really make a fine, fine argument with research, with the statistics, examples, and none of that was brought to this pretrial hearing. Mm-hmm. The judge said he didn't see color, and then the DA had, she made it, she made an argument to really kind of basically, okay, the law reads that we're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, but she made it a point to make it seem like Matthew was already guilty because when she was talking to the doctor or they would cross-examine her or whatever, she was like, well, I'm sure that at 19 years old, all the victims were thinking about their future, but Mr. Baker wasn't thinking about his future. So if a juror was sitting in there and they heard that, that's automatically, you're automatically making him look guilty without... And I'm paraphrasing. She said something along the lines of, well, there are some 19-year-olds who are getting up in the morning and thinking about their future, and there are other 19-year-olds who... Well, no, she said that there are some 19-year-olds who do get up and think about their future and don't think about executing four people. And it's like, even though she didn't, you know, say verbatim, oh, Matthew, Matthew, you know, executed four people and put an allegation like that on record, it was still implied. And something like that would very much influence um, a jury. And then in response, you know, they were kind of going back and forth in this debate about, you know, what a 19-year-old would be thinking about reasonably. And when I was 19 years old, this, that, and the third, and Matthew's own attorney opened his mouth to say, you know, this is something that was, you know, such a tragic event. And it's not to say that people like Matthew or 19-year-olds like Matthew, regardless of the color, you know, shouldn't be held accountable for their actions. And I kind of had a record scratch because in my head, I'm thinking, what actions? Like, did he really exactly. just say that in front of the judge? What actions? And to yeah. even imply that your client should be held accountable at all, like, that, that kind of goes against the job, the job description that you have to defend your client innocent. Yeah. And uh, you're supposed to you know, the prosecutor is supposed to pr- uh, pro- uh, provide proof beyond reasonable doubt that this person is guilty. They're not providing that whatsoever. It's just hearsay. Yeah, and in the same hearing towards the end, they were going, they were speeding through a whole bunch of motions, and his attorneys have a lot more motions to challenge the death penalty to try to get it um, taken off of the table because, of course, you know, things would get taken down just a notch if this turned into a regular murder trial. Um, but the state did, um, confirm that Matthew had no prior criminal convictions that they know of. The judge also said that he knows of, he doesn't know of any prior, um, criminal convictions on Matthew's record. And they also said that they don't have any DNA tests or fingerprints to bring to trial at the moment. So that Mm -hmm. goes back to the obvious that, you know, nothing came up on the DNA searches that they did on him. Nothing came up on the search warrants, so what they're what it seems like that they're bringing to trial is a, a fairy tale story 
and they're honing in on very, very fine details of what happened or what the witnesses say happened that are very much disputable um, to try to craft this, you know, story. And it's, it's very, like, predictable. You can see it. The more that we dive into the evidence and the more that we start picking apart what people said and everything, like, they're really trying to use any any little fine, fine, like, sentence or sequence of words to try to put together this yeah. narrative that, you know, Matthew's a killer. Another thing, too, to piggyback off of that, too, was, okay, so a lot of people that's just hearing about the case or don't really know a lot about the case, that they don't, because it's kind of dropped off a little bit on, it's, the focus has been on Matthew because that's just, Matthew is the one that's in there. But there was also three other people that was in the car with Matthew that Matthew was not driving and Matthew did not have a phone. And they had text messages between um, themselves and Jacob. And Matthew did not have text messages because he didn't have a phone. And they, the only charges that they got are obstruction of a, a justice charges because they said that per Detective LaCroix, um, they lied on their statements or whatever. But some of the statements I read, I don't see where they would have lied on them. Uh, none of them, none, none of the statements that I read mention anything about Matthew's name in there about him with this or doing that or none of that stuff. Um, they only said, the only people's statements that I haven't read all of are, are Jude's statements. Um, I've only just got confirmed that they had, she had four different statements that was written. But um, the DA brought the, Matthew's attorneys did mention that when they were talking about this being a racial bias um, situation or whatever, why the other three people that was in the car don't have charges on them. And she said, well, you get me proof and we'll, we'll press charges. Well, if you look up just about any other cases, if I, me and Kayla go rob a bank together and Kaylin's the getaway and I'm the one that runs in there to rob the bank and she drives me away, guess what? Kaylin is going to jail with me with the same charges as I get because she's the getaway driver. Well, and that's the thing about the misinformation around the just the basic facts of what happened because the the skewed story got out first before the real story. It's like first there's still some nitty gritty details that we still don't know because Maggie still has yet to really like tell us fully what happened um, or anything new in addition to his original interred, um statement that he gave to the detectives, but it's. The fact that a lot of people who reach out to us to ask more questions about the story say, well, he was the getaway driver. Well, he, you know, gave the gun to Matthew, or, I mean, gave the gun to Jacob, or where's the second gun and stuff like that. And it's just like, we, how many times do we have to, you know, try to reconstruct the story back to what actually happened, that Matthew was not the driver? You know, right. like if they dusted the fingerprints on that car... They probably wouldn't have found his fingerprints on the wheel. And as no. soon as we bring up that fact that, you know, he didn't drive or, you know, oh, well, him and Jacob were on the phone. He didn't have a phone. So how do we know that the two of them even spoke to each other on the phone, what that conversation was? Anything 
that they have to say about it. They would have to speak for themselves in the courtroom because anything outside of that is hearsay. Um, but every time we bring up that fact about, you know, him not being the main line of communication and him not being the driver, then the discussion turns to, well, why don't the other three have charges? And the state said in court to the judge when he asked them, why don't the other three have charges? Um, they said, you know, it's up to their discretion pretty much that they didn't feel like it was either necessary or they just decided not to. And when the judge, we, you know, iterated that question to them in the pretrial this time, their response was, well, the other three didn't get out of the car. So that was their response to why the other three don't have the same charges mm. or similar. Um, and Angie, I wanted to ask you, um, how are your other children um, all dealing with all this? Um, it's hard for them. We try not to think about where he is. Um, my daughter, she has an attitude pretty much all the time. Um, and that's just because mm -hmm. she, she's, uh, she holds her feelings in a lot. Mm -hmm. So she, she has anxiety really bad, um, yeah. from it. You know, she has anxiety from a lot of different things, but, um, you know, she, she's been harassed when we did live in Henry County. We stayed, we stayed in Henry County for a while. Um, we stayed in that house for a while until about two years ago. Then we, we left. And when she was working different places, officers would come in and they would know who we was. Uh, we had, uh, she got harassed more than I did. Um, I did, like, if I got pulled over for something, um, they would see my driver's license and my address would, it would show my address on there and that would spark up, like, an attitude or I'd get an extra ticket or just something unnecessary, whatever, which I didn't care because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm going to still go fight it because whatever. But, mm -hmm. um, my middle son, he... I think it motivated him to go to the military, um, which he was mm -hmm. already talking about going or whatever, but it really just pushed him even more. And one of the reasons why he said that he chose to go to the military was because they wanted to slander their last name and make it seem like Matthew's just this bad person. And he wanted to show them that I did not raise my kids to be this way and that I raised my kids good and he was going to put the last name back on on out in society as being good so he joined the marines uh two years ago um you know we don't really talk much about it he asked me i went to um visit him uh in back in may and i kept in contact with him let him know what's going on with court and stuff because he's all the way in california but he asked me, you know, what, how did, you know, what is, I think about what's going to be the outcome? Have I thought about, you know, what's going to happen if they find Matthew guilty? And I told him, you know, I'm not, I don't want to think that far and I don't want to think like that. I want to, I want to think and prepare and speak positive into Matthew. And I want to speak that he's coming home and 
that's what we pray, that's what we believe. And I said, I, I don't really know. I haven't thought that far. I don't I don't want to think about that, you know, because when it comes down to it, it does scare me. Um, yeah. You know, I look at I look at the stuff that's going on in the prison system now, and I look at who Matthew is, and just about everybody, I mean, and even you can speak for yourself, Everybody that comes across and cross paths with Matthew, their first impressions are everything. Most of the time when you meet somebody, the first impression of what you get, you already know what a person is going to be like. And just about every person that meets Matthew, if you have 20 people, 20 of those people is going to say at least five of the same things about Matthew, that he's funny, he's a good kid, he's outgoing, he's caring, he's loving. You know, uh, just oh gosh, yes. Have, you know, a good personality, or he's just you know full of spirit or full of life, or you know something. It's gonna you're gonna have the one of any of those the same twenty people is gonna say. Most of the time, they're gonna say he's just very respectful and he's just a good kid. Like the thing about it that one of the things that I've prayed for through this whole entire time is for God to send me other people to tell this story because me being his mother, everybody's going to be like, well, that's his mom. She's going to say he's innocent, you know, can't believe nothing she says because that's her kid, this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, if my child was guilty of something, I would say she was guilty of something, and I would say, well, let's fight for the correct thing, not death. You know what I'm saying? I don't feel like anybody should get the death penalty for nothing because we're not God. Don't get to choose when somebody lives and dies. Just like, you know, even for as far as Jacob is concerned, I don't think that Jacob should get the death penalty. My family has been affected. My family has, these are things that I don't really talk about much, but I have, I feel like I have the right to say whether somebody should get death penalty or not because, my family has been affected by rape. My family has been affected by child molestation. And my family has been affected by murder. And it doesn't even have anything to do with Matthew's case. Matthew's sister on his dad's side, she was murdered uh, about six months or a year before any of this situation happened. Her, bro- her um, boyfriend shot and killed her and shot her mama. Her mama lived and she died. And mm-hmm. so we have been affected by just about everything that a, that a crime could happen, and I still don't feel like any of those people that has affected my family any type of way should die because mm-hmm. I'm not God. Does it make me angry that they didn't get the charges that they should have got? Yes, it does. But at the end of the day, I have to pray for them and know that at the end, God's going to have the final say-so of whatever happens to them. Right. No, I agree with you. I don't believe in the death penalty. I believe people should get the charges they they need to, they deserve, but the death penalty, no. But um, I am very, I'm very sorry. And um, the question I have um for both of you is that um, for all my listeners out there who are very proactive, um, what all can we do to help Matthew? Um. So. 
I'm going to say this, and then Kaylin, please chime in. So, one, if anybody reads the case or can follow the case, go to Justice for Matthew um, Baker on Facebook and Instagram. Go to change.org. There's a petition on there with two of the articles that um, Kaylin has already written. Um, read the articles. They are a little lengthy, but they're worth um, looking up and reading. If you want to dig in a little deeper and follow the case even more, you can look up anything on YouTube and type in Matthew Baker, or you can j type in Jacob Kosky, and it'll pull it up. If you Google Matthew's name, uh, most of the links and stuff that that we have done would be in either podcast, uh, Facebook, uh, live um, viewing, uh, interviews to other people where they've advocated for Matthew is on there. You can see Matthew and hear some of the questions that they've asked so you can get to know who Matthew is himself. Um, if you know learn know about the case, if you want to meet Matthew, you can set up through our web visit, um, set up an email, and you can pick a time slot, and you can go in there. You can talk to him yourself, even if you want to just leave some kind of encouraging message to him. Um, if you write Sabria Hill, um, she and request that she um, turn over any letters that you submit to the DA, Matthew's attorney, um, and the judge. <clears throat> the address is one square. Uh, let's see. What is the address again, Caitlin? I don't have it off the top of my head. I think oh, it's one, one McDonough Square or something like that. I'll have to give it to you because um, I don't have it on top of my head either. Hold on. Well, and I'll uh, once you get it to me, and um, yeah, I can add it to the interview. So. Yeah, I'm going I'm to look it up really quick while I'm on the phone. But if um, Sabria Hill, if she's the clerk of Superior Court, so it has to be addressed as the, uh, Sabria is S A B R Y A Hill, and uh, she's the clerk of Superior Court. Um, send it to her, and then request that she send it to Shayla Galloway, um, Darius Patello, and um, Arch McGarity. They're the Arch McGarity is the judge on Matthew's case. Um, if anybody has any ties to the EJI organization that's in Birmingham. We have contacted them um, several times. Uh, I even met um, Ralph David Abernathy's daughter. She is, he it was a civil rights leader here in Atlanta. Um, she gave me a contact for someone there. I emailed them and still haven't heard from them. <clears throat> but we have called them emailed them um, several times and have not gotten a response. So okay. what's there? This is Birmingham? Yeah, I'm sorry, say that again. What's there? This place in Birmingham? It's uh, the Equal Justice Initiative. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm watching I can touch with them. The address to the courthouse is one courthouse square in McDonough, Georgia, and zip code is three zero two five three. 
uh, Brian Stevenson is the head of the EGI. And um, we actually, through one of the organizations, the Innocent Project organizations, I, I don't know, I think they were out of New York, I was able to get in contact with an attorney from Louisiana that wanted to take on a pro bono death penalty case. Supposedly, um, he has signed on with Matthew's attorney, but we haven't been able to get in contact with him since the day that he had a meeting with them. So I don't know mm -hmm. if he's actually working with Matthew's attorneys or not because he won't respond back to text message or, or our calls. <clears throat> and only one person on Matthew's team do I really trust, <clears throat> and she is not actually his attorney, but she is on part of his team. He has a new attorney that's on the team, but I haven't really had a chance to really work with her or talk with her that much, so I don't know anything about her. But the head attorney that's on his team, I'm not pleased <clears throat> with some of the actions that they're doing. So I definitely, you know, we we need another, he needs another whole team. Of, oh, gosh, you know, yes. Or somebody that just really will actually get in there and break down and say, okay, you know what, this is seven years and you don't have anything. Right. Um, so, uh, is there an email? Uh, we can also uh, email the judge about, you know, like um, statements, like what about his character? We can't email the judge because I don't think his um, email is like open network to people who are outside of that, you know, court system. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think Andy tried to send an email to him once and it bounced back. So... Um, if anything, you can always send letters to the email that was set up for Matthew. It's free Matthew Baker innocent seventeen at gmail dot com. Um, and if you send your letters there, then they'll end up being forwarded to wherever they need to go um, through Angie. And um, yeah, that's free really Matthew innocent at gmail dot com. Yeah, it's free Matthew innocent seventeen. Free Matthew Baker innocent oh. seventeen. Oh, free Matthew and free Matthew and Baker Innocence Seventeen. Mhm. Mm okay. Cool. Uh, um, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And for so anyone what, who was, wants to, go ahead, Kaylin. I was just gonna say it's for anyone who wants to, you know, contact organizations and stuff to get involved. Know that we've reached out to everybody possible, um, yeah. and we've either been turned down or met with radio silence. And if we were met with a response, it was that they wanted to be able to have access to the discovery, which Georgia is not a right to discovery state where people can just request evidence and not be on the legal counsel of the defendant or be the defendant themselves. So we've tried as much as we can to publicize as much information as legally possible from the discovery mm -hmm. that we've, you know, that we've come upon in our own, you know, ability and through open records and through Angie's conversations with his attorneys and with the private investigator. So the bottom line is that there's no physical evidence that connects Matthew to the crime at all. There is none, right. and it's been admitted in court more than several times now. So 
you know, all you can't help get people outside of this, the discovery packet itself. But um, we know as much information as we can and that we trust claims that, you know, or proves rather that Matthew didn't do this. So. Right. Another thing too. Um, and don't. Uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. If, um, so instead of sending the letter to Sabria Hill, if they'll just send them to the email address, I'll make sure that they get to the correct people that they need to get to. So all they have to do is just send an email. I'll get the letters mailed out because I want to get them certified. Um, uh, I mean, not certified, uh, notarized and get them sent to the court. That way I know that they're going to where they need to go because it, it would just to make sure that they're, they're going where they are. Because a lot of stuff that is going on with Matthew's case is a lot of fishy stuff. There's documents that we have not been able to get. Um, there's documents saying that they don't have no record of this, that, or whatever. Things are getting lost in transition, um, or they don't have anything of some court proceedings. They don't have copies of those. It's just a lot of misconstrued information that's going on with this case. Um, that So if they will send them to the email address, that's fine. Also, on the change.org, um, if you now change.org, not to take anything away from them because they help get spread the word or whatever, but a lot of they'll ask you to donate money. None of that money goes to Matthew. So it all goes Correct. to org. So if but there is a fundraiser that is set up for Matthew if anybody wants to donate to that, um, it's on the change.org petition and that's set up to help if we can get any kind of um extra legal fees or anything like that because an attorney to represent him when I was trying to find one was gonna cost me seventy five thousand dollars. Had I known that we'd be sitting there seven years, I probably could have already paid him the seventy five thousand dollars. But I didn't have thirty or forty thousand dollars come out of my pocket either at the time. But there is a fundraiser there set up for Matthew if anybody wants to donate to that. If they just sign the petition and they share it on their social media at least once or twice a week, that gives somebody else an extra chance to actually see it. And they if they'll put a little something at the top of why it's important for somebody to read Matthew's story. I also want to say um, about the fundraiser, not to be discouraged from donating, even if Matthew does end up getting a new counsel pro bono or whatever have you, um, because we have to take into account that he spent seven years away from home and that the last pair of clothes he has was when he was a teenager and he's a 25-year-old man now. So any of those funds could be used towards his clothes, just shoes, you know, cleaning products. Um, oh, gosh, like yes. that. And of course, for, you know, other rehabilitating services and programs like therapy and other things like that. Yeah. And um, also, what would we need to write to Sabrina again? Um, well, you can either send it to the, um, actually, we can just redirect all the letters to the email. That would be easier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we need to write in the email. Yeah, uh, any any of yeah. the letters can be sent 
to the email, and then from there they'll be taken care of where they need yeah. to be addressed. Oh, uh, what we need to uh, say to Sabrina about the case, like what would be like, what would be the best thing, like if I were to write to her, email her, what would I need to say? Um, if you, we have actually a template on his Facebook page, and Angie posted it on her page too about um, just you know a couple of things to take into account. I'm actually going to pull it up right now. That's what I'm doing now. So my so, son, um, he's in the military and he works with legal stuff. So he came up with this little template thing and he says things that you would write would be who, what, when, where, and why. So who are Matthew to you as a friend, et cetera, family member, or just somebody that you read the story? what he means to you and what about him, if you know anything about him, if you don't, or if you just know about the case, then you can put, you know, from what you see from the case. Uh, when did when did you meet? Where did you guys meet? And why should the government show mercy? And why should he be released? So if, you, if anybody reads the story and things that pop out to them that they feel that, you know, why he's innocent and why he shouldn't be, um, facing the death penalty, why the charges should be dropped or anything like that, where the evidence shows that he's innocent, they can put that in there. They can list things of um, racial bias, um, you know, question. They can talk about the justice system, how it's already overpopulated anyways. Um, just, you know, whatever comes to their mind of why he should not be facing the death penalty and why he should be released or anything like that. And I think another thing to keep in mind is that based off of um, my conversation with one of his attorneys is that, you know, it's not only just the prosecution that isn't aware of Matthew's side of the story. The only thing that they know really is that whatever they were given from the police report and from the police department, um, which is, of course, why they're under this impression that he's some stone-cold killer because they don't have any other context besides the police report and the witness statements. Um, and it's not just the jury that needs convincing, it's also the judge. So I would encourage anyone who's writing a letter to think about, you know, how do we tell Matthew's side of the story? And that's what we're, you know, we've been trying to do this entire time is, emphasize that, hey, there's another side of this story that's, you know, happening right now um, that is going up for trial and facing the worst punishment possible. And um, it's really important that, you know, we convey the story of this 19-year-old boy who was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. That's a very good point. That's perfect. And um, I also wanted to add, not trying to promote myself, I promise this has to do with Matthew. Um, if you go to my TikTok and my Instagram, uh, it's Sarah Only, I-T-S-S-A-R-A-H-O-N-L-Y. I have videos about Matthew Baker. Uh, please share them. Also, uh, the link in my uh, bio on both my Instagram and TikTok has Matthew's petition, uh, articles that she wrote about Matthew, also the fundraiser for Matthew. Um, also, um Another thing is, in my videos, I ask uh, on TikTok and Instagram any activists you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, organizations you know that could help Matthew, please tag them. 
uh, not just on mine, of course, Matthew's page most importantly, but I'm just saying uh, I know some of you have tagged uh, some activists on my TikToks and you've gotten their attention, and I thank you, and I just ask you that you keep that up. But most importantly, Matthew's page, Justice for Matthew on uh, Instagram, that's the most important one. But I just wanted to say um, uh, also my uh, pages also has the information as well. And uh, just to uh, spread the message a little more, but um, but like I said, his page is the most important. But just to put that extra info out there. But um, is there anything you two would like to add? I want to say thank you so much for everything that you do. I want your people, your listeners, to know that you are genuine. Um, I was really shocked to see. Matthew's very first TikTok done by you, and I had never met you until a few years ago, and I met you at Demita's Freedom Fest, and she is a genuine person, just as she is on TikTok, she's more lovable in person, um, and that's the only encounter that we've ever had other than through TikTok or social media, like just conversating here and there, whatever, so... I personally want to say thank you to you for reaching out and following Matthew's case and being part of Team Matthew. And I hope that your listeners will take an impact as if this was somebody in their family and jump on board to be a part of Team Matthew and to fight for not only his life, but the justice that he deserves because he is innocent and the justice that these victims' families deserve because they need to know the truth, and the DA is not really even trying to show them the truth. They're just trying to get a conviction. And my heart goes out to them. You know, I ask people to, you know, keep them listening in prayers. They're, you know, they're struggling with the loss of their loved one, um, just like everybody else is. And even though my son is still here, I still have lost him to a certain extent because he's missed out on a lot of stuff that we've had going on in our family. And I don't think that anybody that is innocent like this should be going through not this at all. I mean, more or less one year, two years, not seven, and definitely not 50. I mean, I don't... I do not want to see, you know, me being 60, 70, 80 years old if I live to be 80 and all of a sudden I can't even walk but my son is free from, you know, charges saying, oh, well, we missed this and we missed that. And the way the justice system is so backed up, if he got convicted, it would be five years probably before he could do an appeal. So if people can just Please listen to his story. Please jump on board with fighting. This is serious. This is this goes on every day. And the only way that we're going to make every day justice system is if everybody joins together, just like they joined together for Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and uh, Ahmaud Aubrey and every Sandra Bland and everybody else that has died at the hands of police officers. This is no different. The only thing is, is they are slowly dying through the justice system. 
for being wrongfully convicted. He's 25. He was 19 at the time that this happened, and he wasn't even there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do want to say thank you for the bottom of my heart for what you said. And uh, uh, would you like also uh, anything to add? Yeah, I also wanted to thank you as well for just keeping an interest and a passion for helping us spread the word about this case. And um, I also want to encourage everyone to continue following this case and continue sharing and spreading the word because I think it would be so pivotal if we did something different this time, if we got ahead of the conviction, if we, you know, didn't wait for the judge and the jury to write off someone as guilty or innocent because I feel like once you label someone as a criminal, they're already assumed to be guilty before they even make it to trial. And then once they make it to trial and they get a guilty verdict, then it's, oh, they deserve to be in prison. And we've seen too many cases of people being wrongfully convicted to always believe that every single conviction that comes down is accurate. Even if that person did deserve the the charges that they got, they might have been given an exaggerated sentence. Um, right, which is why we're amplifying this case along with so many other cases that um, Jamita was working on throughout these past two years that we've known her because there are so many other people who are in positions like him that either didn't do anything or they did do something and they just don't deserve the punishment that they've been dealt or the crime that they've been dealt by the court system. So it's, it's very disheartening when we talk to people who say, oh, well, you know, We'll we'll keep looking at it until a conviction comes down, or we'll keep looking at it until trial starts. And I'm like, we already know enough to know that he doesn't even deserve to go to trial over this. So I think I just want to encourage everyone to do something different and help us get ahead of that verdict, whatever it's going to be. We believe and we have faith that it's going to be that he is innocent. Um, but it is going to be, you know, a a breathtaking and anxiety-inducing trial when we get there uh, just because of what he's facing. But, again, you know, don't wait until something bad happens. Just help us help now. Talk about it now. Just get on board now. Please don't underestimate the power of your voice because I've seen you all do monumental things over and over ever since I started advocating. I've seen you all do it. Please keep it up. Keep it up right now with Matthew's case. I Please don't underestimate yourselves. No. To add a little positive note to that, I do want to say this. One thing that um, Demita has taught me, and this is just advice to anybody that's listening or knows anybody that's in a situation that is maybe like Matthews or not like Matthews, but facing any kind of charges um, and they're innocent, know the constitutional rights and know that they apply to you and fight back in court using the constitutional rights. I can't guarantee that it's going to win you, but I can guarantee you that whatever you're going through, as long as you fight back, something good is going to come out of it, whether it's a lesser sentence or the charges dropped something like that. You have to fight back because at the end of the day, the way, the way that the justice system looks at you is nobody cares about you. 
I, I believe yeah. that at the end of the day, they felt like nobody, Matthew was just another black kid that, and I did not have a silver spoon in my mouth and I didn't raise my kids with a silver spoon. So, you know what, nobody's going to fight for him. But now that they see that it's over 100,000 people, you know, watching social media and they're, you know, on the same page, we've got over 57,000 signatures on the change.org. So if 57,000 of those people sign it, you know, I know I can't make 12 jurors see the same thing we see, but at the same time, you know, maybe we can get enough signatures where we don't even have to go to trial. <clears throat> but I want to be great. Right. I want to leave that as a big reminder. Know your constitutional rights and apply them to yourself and your case and anything you go through. And to give people a little heads up, I'm very excited and I'm very proud of my baby that even though he has endured so much for him to not have a criminal record, never to have been around violent people, he has sat in that jail for almost seven years. He has maintained peace. He motivates people. He encourages people in there. And he has completed and got his GED. And he will be graduating on August the 1st. And I talked to him yesterday and he told me that he is now his t a teacher aide with his GED teacher. So he's helping teach the other classmates. I said inmates, but he corrected me. He said it's classmates, mom, or students or whatever. But he's teaching them to get their GED as well. And I know to some that may not be a big deal, but for me it really is because Matthew was always the type of kid that really loved school. So for him to be in what we consider as maybe like a little temporary bonded stage right now, he was still able to apply himself in a positive way and get his GED through all the stuff that he has hanging over his head right now. That's, oh, that's beautiful. That is very inspiring. And I also want to say uh, the first time I talked to him, I'll be talking to him again soon. I was just, I, I can say that I it took my breath away, his positivity. I saw the love of God in his eyes, and he, he told me his faith has carried him through all this. And he said his faith will continue to carry him through all this. He said, I know I'm going to be okay. God is with me. And I almost, I'm serious, I almost started crying. And I made a video about it afterwards, talking about I saw the love of God in this man's eyes. And, um, and like, I, it just inspired me all the more. I'm like, this man has been in jail for seven years and 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 he's he's a I could just see the warmth in his face and so like I said this man is a good good person and um so that's what I wanted to speak about personally and just add on to what Angie was saying yes that's but, why I said if anybody wanted to if they just want to if they want to know who Matthew is and before they write a letter, because, you know, like I said, I'm his mom, so people, you know, going to say, I, I'm going to say this, that, and other, whatever, but I'm the type of person that actions speak louder than words to me. So I'm, I make it a point to prove a point. And I, if you want to know who he is before you want to write a letter and you want to get to know who he is, he doesn't even know who you are. You could just call him just, to, I mean, 
set up a visit, go to iwebvisit.com, search Henry County, um, and type in Matthew Baker. You have to set, send them your email address and all this other stuff. It costs $6. You get 15 minutes. You can have whatever conversation, but, of course, he can't answer anything about the case. But if you want to just know who he is as a person, you go on there, and, and he'll talk to you like he talks to anybody else, whether he knows you or he don't know you. He'll say, okay, hey, how you doing, blah, 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 whatever, and he'll probably leave you with some words of encouragement. I can't tell you how many people have been in that jail with him and has either been down the road and found me on Facebook, um, has got my number from him and calls me to check on him. Uh, one guy even came to court a couple years ago. Uh, they all, somehow or another, they find a way to get back in contact with me just to see how he's doing, just to tell me that I raised a good kid. Um, he's going to be home. Yeah, They're yeah. praying for him. Um, he likes to sing. So sometimes that he does Bible study in there with them. Um, sometimes he'll just sing gospel songs or he'll just sing anything in there at night. I've heard people tell me that that's encouraging to them to hear him singing because if anybody's ever been in jail, it's loud and obnoxious and annoying in there because everybody's yelling and screaming and you got every character you can think of that's in there with you. So to hear something that is soft and sweet versus obnoxious people is good to hear. Um, I had one guy call me just to tell me that he was putting money on Matthew's books and he'll be forever grateful to him because he was in there for a violation of probation, but that was his first time in being in jail and his wife was out and he was the sole provider for his wife and they had a baby and he didn't think he was going to get to go to court and they didn't know if he was going to get a bond hearing and he wanted to commit suicide. And he said if it wasn't for Matthew stopping him and telling him just to trust God and just pray that everything was going to be okay and Matthew saying that he was going to, you know, pray with him, he was going to fast for him, you know, all this other stuff, he said he don't know how he would have made it. And I think it was ended up being like not – I think it was almost maybe six to eight months, and the guy ended up getting a bond hearing. Wow. And, and hasn't been back since then, but he con he did contact me to tell me all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So That's beautiful, but it's not surprising knowing who Matthew is. <laughs> I mean, in, in a – I can't imagine myself being in a situation like that just because you not knowing what's going to happen to you and knowing that your life is in somebody else's hands. And that is, that's just, to me, that's just not fair to anybody to know that your life has to be in somebody else's hands when they're not the ones that gave you life. I am. I'm the one that gave him life. If right. Other than God, God blessed me to be his mother. And, you know, he does write me um, things every once in a while um, and tells me, that, you know, he loves me and he's sorry and this, that, and the other. And I told him the other day, I don't care what type of situation that he's in, he's always going to be my baby, and I'm always going to be proud of him. Um, mm -hmm. I, I want to share this real quick, and I hope I don't I, – I hope I don't cry, 
because I made a bit with Kaylin. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but I want to share this with y'all, and then I'm not going to say anything else. So this this happened to be my Mother's Day card that I got from Matthew. And it says, thank you, Mom, for being that voice in my head saying, yes, you can, for being that voice in my heart saying, you are loved, for always being that voice of hope that says everything will be okay. And then he wrote a little note in there. He says, there's a lot of things I can say, but really this card hit it on the head. Anyway, I love you. You're the best mom ever. Ma. That's beautiful. Just the, that's just one of the little sweet cards he wrote me. Um, my Valentine's Day card was one that's a tearjerker for real. But I don't have that one with me. This one I, I just happen to have in the car. I'm glad you did. And um, yeah, I thank you both for coming on. Angie, thank you. I know you're busy, but I thank you very much. I uh, promise to keep my listeners updated. Uh, including when the trial starts, promise to keep you all updated. Again, I thank you both from the bottom of my heart. And um, I will, uh, again, keep everybody updated. And again, thank you both. And uh, like I said, we will talk soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't be afraid of the dark. Be careful with stars. Not every light is gonna guide you, baby. Don't let it rain on your spark. Keep it close to your heart. All of the pressure's gonna drive you crazy. Cause you rise to the madness. In the morning, it's all gonna vanish. Don't be afraid of the dark. Be careful with stars. Not every light is gonna guide you. Not every light is gonna guide you. Yeah, when I blow up, I'ma so high like Peter Pan. In real life, be living out my dreams. If I'm waking up, it's in a foreign land. Whole wrist covered up in ice. Dealership never asked the price. Henry County 91, what's the location of your emergency? But for the transfer, all the boxes can get shot. Go ahead, ma'am. Hurry, they're, they're shooting, they're shooting, they're shooting. What's, who's shooting, ma'am? Oh, no. Is someone shooting at you? You know, Are you, I'm, you're shooting? I, I'm, I'm outside. They're inside the house. They came in the house. They said, they're on the ground. They said, Do you know who this is? No. They came to the house and were shooting? Yes, please be here. Please be here. What's please. the address? 635 Do you remember anything about what they look like? Um, no. I didn't see anyone. How many more there? Men or women? <laughs> How many gunshots have you heard inside? About ten. You ran out the house? Yes. Stay by. Okay. Who is still in the house? Like five people. That you know, that live there with you? Yes, yes. Who, tell me exactly who's inside the house that you know. Yes, me, Olinger, Matthew. Man, woman, tell me how many children and, uh, men, women, and children are in the house. There's no children. Okay, how many men are inside the house that you know? So, um, five adults. Okay, how many men, how many women do you know that are inside the house? Three, four men and two women. 
and you're, are you one of those women? I'm outside, but yeah, okay. no, I'm sure. Because so there's six people that you know inside the house? Yes. Can you tell me anything about these men that came in there and broke in the house? White, black, Hispanic? Are you seeing people? Yes, I just, I'm going to stay in line until they get there, okay? This doesn't okay. slow them down. Okay. Do you remember anything about what they were wearing? Yes, No or yes? No. Okay. Did you see the, any guns? No, sir, but I know there's guns in the house. Have you heard any of your, your other roommates talking or saying anything? Yes, sir. Okay. What is your name? I'd rather not say. No, I need you to tell me your name. The officers are on the way. Jude. J-U-D-E. Jude? Yes. What's the phone number I can reach you in case we get disconnected, Jude? 678-347-5309. Okay. Do you see any kind of vehicles? that aren't supposed to be there? I'm looking, I'm looking. She's looking. I think they left. You think they're I gone? I hear them, I hear them, I hear them. Okay, do you see any cars that aren't normally there outside with you? I can barely see anything. Okay. Are you in the front yard or the backyard now? I'm in like the side shed. Yeah, I just want you to see if there's any uh, cars there that you don't recognize. Are you there, Jude? Yeah. Okay, okay. What do you hear now? And you're at 635 Moccasin Gap, correct? Yeah. No, shouldn't hear anything else right now, but I'm going to keep her on the line. Let me know whatever you hear, okay? Okay. What were you doing when this happened? I was on the back porch smoking a cigarette, right. and I heard it, and I ran. What did you hear? Get on the ground, get on the ground. You heard a commotion and somebody's shouting, get on the ground? Yes. And it was men or women or who was saying that? I'm trying to get my... Yes? Help's on the way, Jude, okay? Okay. What are you trying to get? What is it? I'm trying to get I'm trying to get my mom to come get me as soon as I'll get here. Oh, okay. Well, let's let's get the help to you first, okay? Who lives at that address that you know? Um, Destiny Olinger. Is it? So there's a girl named Destiny who lives there. Do yes. you do you live there? No, sir. Okay, you're just staying the night, or have you been staying there, or what? That was the plan. How old is Destiny? She's 
And so who else is in the house besides Destiny? Um, Matthew Hicks. How's he? Um, Matthew Hicks, his name, of, um, okay, her name, Sophie, and two, two other guys. Do you remember their names at all? Um, I don't. They're not from here. Alright, enough. Yes? Listen, an officer's gonna come up and tell you, is, is there any way that you can make your way down towards the roadway? Yes, I can try. Okay, caller's gonna try to come down to the driveway, okay? Can you hear me? Caller's gonna try to come down the driveway. What are you wearing? I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt. She has on shorts and a t-shirt. She's gonna try to come down the driveway. Do you hear anything else? It's going to be impossible. Okay. It's a long driveway. There's horses. What can you get to? I need to figure out where you can meet. Can you go down near that barn? That's by the front of the driveway? Um... I'm trying to see. Okay. okay. Are you back by the pool? Um, yes. So that's where you are now? Yes, sir. Okay. Can you get to that barn? Yes. Um, okay. Good. Yeah, yes, you. I'm going to try to get her to come to the barn that's out in front of the house. Are you able to do that? I'm at the barn. Car's at the barn that's about, I don't know, 100 feet from the house. Okay, I'm telling the officers, obviously. That's right. Let me know if you see the officers or if you hear anything else from the, uh, from the house, okay? Okay, Jude. Hello. Yes, sir. All right, let yes, me know if you hear anything else from the house, okay? Now, can you see any cars in the driveway that you don't recognize that yes, weren't sir. there earlier? No, yes, sir. There's no vehicles that weren't there earlier. Inside. The barn? No, the house. No, don't go there. If you're if you're safer out here than you are if, if you think people went in the house with guns. I want you to wait and let the officers meet with you first, okay? in the area. I'm going to have him meet with you, okay? I see him. I see him. I okay. see him. The caller has visual on the officer. Is that them pulling in the driveway now? Yes, that should be the officer pulling up. Okay, there we are. There we are. I don't want you to alarm them, okay? I'll let them know you're okay. coming here. 